Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Gen X History. It's the week of January 15th. Let's dive in and see what happened. In TV, on January 15, 1974, Happy Days premiered on ABC. It would run 11 seasons before it jumped the shark, figuratively speaking, on July 19, 1982. Some of the spinoffs from that show were Laverne and Shirley, Joni Loves Chachi, and Mork and Mindy. There are a couple others. I don't remember them. Uh, one was called Out of the Blue, and the other was called Blanksy's Beauties. I, I really don't remember hearing about either one of those. January 15, 1977, we met the Coneheads. Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin played Beldar and Primat from the planet Remulac in a skit on Saturday Night Live. That's back when I loved Saturday Night Live. January 15, 1981, police drama Hill Street Blues premiered on NBC. It ran for seven seasons. And on January 15, 1985, we got a cheesy made-for-TV movie, Not My Kid, premiered on CBS. It was a film about teen drug use, and it had the tagline, If Not Yours, Then Whose Kid? Stocker Channing was one of the actresses in the movie. There were so many of those made-for-TV warning movies back in the day. January 16, 1987, the Beastie Boys had the honor of becoming the first act to be censored on American Bandstand. Apparently, the boys weren't very happy about having to lip-sync to a backing track instead of performing live for the show. So when they filmed their segment, they made a mockery of it. They lip-synced poorly, they broke microphones, and mid-song, Ad-Rock grabbed his crotch. This part of the performance was edited out of the broadcast before it was aired. January 16, 1981, Harper Valley PTA premiered on NBC. It starred Barbara Eden reprising her role from the 1978 film, and the show ran for two seasons. January 17, 1981, Ohana, starring Pat Morita, better known to Gen Xers as Mr. Miyagi, premiered on CBS, and it ran for two seasons. January 17, 1983, the 10th annual AMAs were held. The winners for favorite pop rock male category were John Cougar and Rick Springfield. In the female category, it was Olivia Newton-John. And for a band or a duo, it was Daryl Hall and John Oates. In the soul and R&B category, the male winner was Lionel Richie. The female winner was Diana Ross. And the favorite soul and R&B band was Cool and the Gang. In the country category, the favorite male performer was Kenny Rogers, favorite female was Barbara Mandrell, and favorite band was Alabama. On January 18, 1975, one of the most successful spinoffs from All in the Family premiered on CBS, The Jeffersons. It ran for 11 seasons, ending in 1985. That show was great. It had so many great characters, just a phenomenal cast. But my favorite, my absolute favorite... Marla Gibbs as Florence. She was just feisty and quick-witted, and I loved her. January 18, 1986, The Red Fox Show premiered on ABC. Unfortunately, though, that show only ran for one season. January 19, 1988, a news show titled 48 Hours premiered on CBS. You may have heard of it. It is actually still on the air and is currently in its 37th season. On January 20th, 1987, Unsolved Mysteries premiered on NBC, and it ran for 12 seasons. When I said Unsolved Mysteries, you heard the theme song and Robert Stack's voice in your head, didn't you? I know you did, because I did. 
On January 20, 1989, Father Dowling Mysteries premiered on NBC. It starred Mr. Cunningham, or, you know, Tom Bosley, and it lasted for three seasons. Moving on to movies, January 15, 1988, Good Morning Vietnam was released in theaters. It starred Robin Williams. This was the wide release of the film. It had had a limited release on December 23, 1987. It had a budget of $13 million and earned $123.9 million at the box office. And my apologies for yelling at the beginning. Something about this microphone in my face made it seem appropriate. On January 15, 1988, The Couch Trip, starring Dan Aykroyd and Walter Matthau, was released in theaters. It had a budget of $19 million and only earned $11 million at the box office. Also on January 15, 1988, Four Keeps, the teen pregnancy drama starring Molly Ringwald and Randall Battenkopf, was released. It earned $17 million at the box office. January 16, 1987, The Bedroom Window, starring Steve Gutenberg, was released. It had a budget of $8.3 million and earned $12.6 million at the box office. Also on January 16, 1987, Critical Condition, starring Richard Pryor, was released. It had a budget of $14 million and earned $20.2 million at the box office. And our last movie on January 16, 1987, is Wanted Dead or Alive, starring Gene Simmons. Yes that Gene Simmons. The budget was $4.5 million and it earned 7.5 at the box office. And I don't remember this movie. I don't remember a lot of the movies. But this one, this one I need to go find because I need to see Gene Simmons in a movie. January 17, 1986, Iron Eagle starring Louis Gossett Jr. was released. It had a budget of $10 million and earned $24.1 million at the box office. And also on January 17, 1986, The Clan of the Cave Bear, starring Daryl Hannah, was released. I remember this movie. It was terrible. It had a budget of $15 million and only earned $2 million at the box office. Even Daryl couldn't save that movie. January 18, 1977, the documentary Pumping Iron, which featured Arnold Schwarzenegger, was released. I did not see this movie back in the 70s or 80s. I saw it more recently. I found it quite entertaining. January 18, 1985, The New Kids, starring Eric Stoltz and James Spader, was released. This movie reportedly had a budget of $6 million, and it only earned $199,000 at the box office. That's a stinker. January 18, 1985, also brought us Blood Simple. The budget for that movie was $1.5 million, and it earned $2.7 at the box office. And finally, on January 18, 1991, White Fang, starring Ethan Hawke, but more importantly, Jed the Dog, who played White Fang, was released in theaters. We all know how Gen X feels about animals. The budget for that movie was $1.5 million, and it earned $2.7 million at the box office. On January 19, 1990, Tremors, starring Kevin Bacon and Reba McIntyre, was released. I loved this movie. This was a great movie. It had a budget of $11 million and earned $16.7 million at the box office. And now on to music, which, if I'm honest, is my favorite category. January 15, 1972, American Pie by Don McLean became the number one song in the U.S. And January 15, 1983, Down Under by Men at Work became the number one song in the U.S. and it remained in the top spot for four weeks. January 16, 1984, Wang Chung's second album, Points on a Curve, was released. 
That album featured the single Dance Hall Days, and it was the second single released from the album, but it was actually a re-release. That song had been released in 1982 before the band changed their name. Now, they didn't really change their name. They changed the spelling of their name. Wang Chung, it used to be spelled H-U-A-N-G instead of W-A-N-G. They did this in order to make it easier to pronounce, but also apparently to stop people from calling them Hung Chung, which... That's understandable. I wouldn't want my band called that either. January 16th, 1988, George Harrison's single I Got My Mind Set On You became the number one song in the U.S. I love this song. It's just such a feel-good, like, energizing song. On that same day, January 16th, 1988, George Michael's album Faith reached number one on the Billboard 200 chart. And yet again on that same day, January 16th, 1988, Richard Marks' single Endless Summer Nights was released. It would eventually peak at number two on the U.S. charts. On January 7th, 1981, Motley Crue was born. So Nikki Six left the band London to start practicing with Tommy Lee and Greg Leon. Tommy and Greg had worked together in a band called Sweet 19. Eventually, though, after some time practicing together, Greg decided he didn't want to continue with the group. Soon after Greg's departure, they met Mick Mars, and he joined the group. And apparently Tommy remembered Vince Neal from high school, and after seeing him perform with the band Rock Candy, Mick suggested hiring him. Initially, Vince wasn't interested in auditioning for the group, but eventually he decided to give it a shot, and he was hired. And that's how you make a Motley Crue. On January 17, 1987, Gregory Abbott's single Shake You Down reached number one on the U.S. charts. And woo, that's a steamy song. Good song. A little steamy. Okay, I'm going to guess that a lot of Gen Xers remember their mothers listening to Barry Manilow. January 18, 1975, Barry Manilow earned his first number one hit with the song Mandy. And January 18, 1981, Wendy O. Williams was arrested on stage during a show in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for lewd behavior. On that same day in 1981, Sheena Easton's debut album Take My Time was released. It featured the single Morning Train. January 18, 1983, Brian Adams' third album Cuts Like a Knife was released. On January 18, 1986, Dionne Warwick's single That's What Friends Are For peaked at number one on the U.S. charts. And if you're a Gen Xer that graduated somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, you probably remember that song being played at some sort of graduation ceremony, program, maybe even a dance. Yeah. Also on January 18th, 1986, Heart single These Dreams was released. On January 18th, 1991, ACDC played a show in Salt Lake City, Utah. The tickets had been sold general admission, which caused the fans to rush the stage in a bid to get to the front row. During this stampede, three teenagers were injured and eventually died from their injuries. Once the band members realized what had happened, they stopped playing. But after about 15 minutes, authorities encouraged them to finish the show in order to avoid a riot. Unfortunately, though, in the papers the next day, they were painted as being uncaring because they had continued the show. January 19, 1980, Michael Jackson's single Rock With You became the number one song in the U.S. On that same day, the Pretenders' debut album was released. January 19, 1981, Styx's 10th album Paradise Theater was released. 
It eventually reached number one on the Billboard 200 chart. January 19, 1982, I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts was released. This song was a cover of the 1975 song by the British group The Arrows. Joan's version reached number one on the U.S. singles charts. Also on January 19, 1982, Bad Religion's debut album How Could Hell Be Any Worse was released. And on January 19, 1988, Taylor Dane's debut album Tell It To My Heart was released. January 20th, 1982 was a memorable day. Ozzy Osbourne was playing a show in Des Moines, Iowa, when a fan threw a bat on the stage. Ozzy, thinking it was a rubber bat, picked it up and bit its head off, and learned very quickly that it was real. Ozzy has since disclosed that he had to be treated for rabies after the incident. That's no surprise. I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. Ugh. On January 20th, 1983, Def Leppard's third album, Pyromania, was released. It featured the single Photograph, and it peaked at number two on the Billboard 200 chart. January 20th, 1984, Metallica's second single, Jump in the Fire, was released. January 20th, 1987, Bruce Willis's debut album, The Return of Bruno, was released. Do you guys remember when the actors were making music? Like, I remember David Hasselhoff had an album, Eddie Murphy had an album. There were others. Those are the two that come to mind. Also, when I discovered that it was the release date for Bruce Willis's album, I was immediately reminded of his Seagram's wine cooler commercials. As I recall, he was singing in those. So now I need to go look them up and see when they aired. January 21st, 1978, the soundtrack to the movie Saturday Night Fever began a 24-week run at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. That means it was on the chart at number one until July. That is a really long time to have a fever. I mean, I like the music, but that is a long time for that album to be at number one. January 21st, 1983, Sweet Dreams Are Made of These by The Eurythmics was released. Some sources said that it was released on January 4th, 1983. Either way, early January of 83. And it peaked at number one on the U.S. charts. On January 21st, 1984, Corey Hart's single Sunglasses at Night was released. It was the first single off of his debut album titled First Offense. On that same day, Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes reached number one on the U.S. singles charts. And in 1984, Bon Jovi's self-titled debut album was released. January 21st, 1985, Dolly Parton's 27th solo album, Real Love, was released. And January 21st, 1989, Two Hearts by Phil Collins reached number one on the U.S. singles chart. And now in other history. January 15th, 1975, Space Mountain opened at Disney World in Orlando, Florida. I've been to Disney World a few times in my life, the first time being right around 1978. I did not realize how new Space Mountain was the first time I went to Disney World. And now that I know, I feel really, really old because Space Mountain has always been a thing. It's, it's always been a thing. I'm, I'm older than Space Mountain. That's just wrong. January 16th, 1991, the Persian Gulf War known as Operation Desert Storm, began. So I graduated in the spring of 1990, that previous year, and I actually considered talking to a recruiter, and I have a lot of friends from high school that went and talked to a recruiter. 
A lot of Gen Xers served in that conflict. January 17, 1953, GM unveiled the Corvette at the GM Motorama in New York City. Now I know, 1953 seems kind of early for a Gen X history podcast, but the Corvette is a pretty iconic vehicle, and it shows up a lot in the hedonistic pop culture of the 1980s. I mean, immediately, you should think of Little Red Corvette by Prince, right? But as I dug into the Corvette to see where it showed up in the 1980s, I found out something rather interesting. So in the show Miami Vice, Crockett is supposedly driving a 1972 Ferrari 365 GTS4 Daytona Spider, which is a very long name for a car, by the way. But when the producers approached Ferrari and asked them to be a part of the series, Ferrari did not have any interest. So the car that Crockett actually drives in the first two seasons of Miami Vice is a modified Corvette. The producers of the show hired a company called McBurney Coachcraft to modify two Corvette C3s to look like spiders, and they used them on the show. After the show became successful, Ferrari filed a lawsuit against McBurney for creating the lookalikes, and the producers of Miami Vice decided to do some negotiating with Ferrari, And eventually, Ferrari agreed to provide two 1986 Testarossas to the show under the condition that the spider dupes were destroyed. That's why in Season 3, Episode 1, titled When Irish Eyes Are Crying, which aired on September 26, 1986, Crockett's car is blown up. January 17, 1984, also gave us a Supreme Court decision in the Betamax case. This case was Sony Corporation of America versus Universal City Studios Incorporated. See, in the 1970s, Sony had developed the Betamax VTR, videotape recorder, and the studios, Universal, Disney, and some others, were very wary of its development and how it would affect copyright infringement. At the time that this was all going on, the U.S. Congress was in the final stages of a major revision of copyright law, So the studios didn't think they would have much support from Congress and decided their best course of action was to sue Sony. In the suit, Universal sought monetary damages, an equitable accounting of profits, and an injunction against the manufacturing and marketing of the Betamax VTR. In a close 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court denied all relief and ruled that private use of home VTRs to tape TV shows for the purpose of time-shifting did not constitute copyright infringement. The court also ruled that manufacturers of video recording devices like the Betamax and VCRs could not be held liable for contributory copyright infringement. This was really a landmark case if you think about it. When you, when you think about the technology we have now with the streaming of movies, shows, music, this really opened the door to that because these companies didn't even want you to tape a show to watch it later in the privacy of your own home. On January 19, 1983, the Apple Lisa personal computer was introduced. It was marketed for business use and it was the first Apple computer to have a graphical user interface. But unfortunately, the Lisa didn't do very well and its failure is probably partly due to its hefty price tag It cost $9,995 in 1983, which is the equivalent of over $31,000 in 2023. Ouch. 
On January 20th, 1981, Ronald Reagan was inaugurated as the 40th President of the United States. On that same day, the Iran hostage crisis ended when the Ayatollah Khomeini released the 52 American hostages that he had been holding for the past 15 months. On January 20th, 1989, George H.W. Bush was inaugurated as the 41st President of the United States. On January 21, 1984, the first DeLorean rolled off the assembly line at a factory in Dunbury, Belfast in North Ireland. Do you think DeLorean considered filing a lawsuit against Doc Brown for modifying the DeLorean into a time machine? Probably, probably not. Why would you do that? And finally, birthdays. And as my usual disclaimer goes, I include birthdays from the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and so on, because those people are the people that made the music, movies, and television that we grew up on. January 15th, 1948, Ronnie Van Zant of Leonard Skinner was born. He would have been 76. January 15th, 1967, Lisa Lisa of Cult Jam was born. She is 57. January 15th, 1971, actress Regina King, you might remember her from the show 227, was born. She is 53. January 16th, 1949, Anne F. Beeler, founder of Auntie Anne's Pretzels, was born. She is 75. The first Auntie Anne's was opened in 1988, and I think most Gen Xers associate soft pretzels with the mall. January 16th, 1950, actress Debbie Allen from the Fame TV show was born. She is 74. And in 1958, Sade was born. She is 65. January 17th, 1922, Betty White was born. She would have been 102. And I am still mad at 2021 for stealing her right before her 100th birthday. January 17th, 1931, James Earl Jones was born. He is 93. January 17, 1957, comedian Steve Harvey was born. And in 1962, comedian Jim Carrey was born. January 17, 1964, Andy Rourke, bassist of the Smiths, was born. He would have been 60. And January 17, 1971, singer Kid Rock was born. He is 53. January 18, 1955, actor Kevin Costner was born. January 15, 1958, Tom Bailey of the Thompson Twins was born. And January 18, 1971, Jonathan Davis of Corn was born. He is 53. January 19, 1942, rock legend Janis Joplin was born. January 19, 1946, America's sweetheart Dolly Parton was born. She is 78. January 19, 1949, singer Robert Palmer was born. He would have been 75. Now this next one's going to hurt a little bit. January 19, 1954, actress Katie Segal was born, also known as Peg Bundy. She is 70. Al Bundy's wife is 70, guys. Born that same day was Francis Bushholtz of the Scorpions. He's also 70. January 20th, 1952, Paul Stanley of Kiss was born. He is 72. January 20th, 1958, actor Lorenzo Lamas was born. I remember him from Falcon Crest. He's 66. January 20th, 1979, Rob Borden of Lincoln Park was born. He is 45. 
January 21st, 1938, the iconic DJ Wolfman Jack was born. He would have been 86. January 21st, 1950, singer Billy Ocean was born. January 21st, 1956, actress Gina Davis was born. January 21st, 1965, Jam Master J of Run DMC was born. He would have been 59. January 21st, 1973, Chris Kilmore of Incubus was born. He is 51. And finally, January 21st, 1976, Baby Spice, also known as Emma Bunton, was born. She is 48. Well, that wraps up this episode of This Week in Gen X History. I hope you'll join me next time for another totally tubular walk down memory lane. Don't forget to check me out on my other social media accounts. You can find me at Michelle Underwood, spelled M-I-S-H-A-L. I know, that's not what you expected. That one's for Facebook. And you can find me at You Wish You Were Gen X on TikTok and Instagram. Later, dudes.